I'm Jared Cunningham. Welcome to this special episode of Cybernia, reporting on the Science Foundation Ireland Summit, brought to you in association with Discover Science and Engineering. On Monday and Tuesday, November 14 and 15, I travelled to the flown to the Science Foundation Ireland, or SFI, Summit. The theme of this year's summit is Shaping the Future Now, New Horizons for Science and Society. First, I spoke to the Director General of SFI, Dr. Graham Love. I'm in the Hudson Bay Hotel in Athlone with Graham Love, who is the Director General of the Science Foundation Ireland, and we're here at the SFI Science Summit 2011. Graham, perhaps you could start by telling me about what Science Foundation is and uh, why it was set up. Okay. So we were set up about 10 years ago in the year 2000. Uh, at the time it was recognised that in order for Ireland to achieve this much heralded term, the knowledge economy, but basically the idea of manufacturing and making higher value products and services, ones that charge higher prices uh, and thereby protect living standards in Ireland. In order for Ireland to do that, we would need a much improved world-class research capability in our universities, institutes of technology, etc. The idea being those research labs can train the people to a very high standards and invent new technologies that transfer along with those trained people into the companies to allow them to innovate, to allow them to produce more sophisticated products and services, to allow them to charge higher prices. That's the simple objective, um, but it's done on a medium to long-term basis. So it's, we focused initially on what is referred to as basic or fundamental research, and it can take 10, 20 years to do this and, and, and get it up and running. We're 10 years into that journey. Um, in some fields, we're actually seeing the product of that, particularly in the software area, already transferring into companies. We've seen at today's summit, Anil Kokram, who's developed a technology basically to take old film footage and clean it up and make it much more viewable and high quality. So uh, that technology is of such interest that, in fact, YouTube and Google have purchased it it gives you an idea of the whole raison d'etre of SFI and what it's about. Can you tell me more about the SFI Summit and uh, what particular function that serves within the organisation? Sure. So the SFI community that we fund consists of about 3,000 researchers on the island of Ireland, led by approximately 300 lead investigators. They're known as principal investigators or PIs in the, in the science business. And we bring together that leadership team in effect that are located in Galway, Limerick, Cork, Dublin, all over the country. This is the one time of the year we bring them all together into a single gathering. The idea behind that is actually to share some of the progress updates and how we're doing. It's also very important from my perspective and the SFI management of the board to deliver key messages about where we're going. But critically, it's about cross-pollination of ideas. The best disruptions in science and what goes into industry are usually from people crossing over fields, from ICT into the life sciences, from life sciences into energy, stuff that just doesn't run the usual mold. And we need to bring these leaders together to enable that process. I think the other key thing to do is it gives expression, tangible expression, to the idea that we are a community of people. Um, in my opening address there, I made it clear to people that, you know, there have been many mistakes made by nations and government policies, but sometimes governments very much get things right. They got it right in corporation tax in this country decades ago with Lamas and Whitaker. They very much got it right with the introduction of Dunnock O'Malley and free secondary education. And it's our belief they very much got it right in 1999 when they set up the fund and introduced uh, SFI and what was then termed the Programme for Research in Third Level Institutions, but basically a deliberate policy of investing state euros 
into funding basic research for the benefit of Irish enterprise and its people. So we have that summit to bring us together, to recognise that community. And this community is playing a pivotal role in this country's recovery. So we need to feel a sense of um, pride in what we do, a sense of purpose, and then having this community and relaying that to them, the sense of responsibility that that brings, because we are pivotal to this country's recovery and driving us forward again. Uh, on that topic, and uh, just uh, this weekend, there have been uh, reports that in the uh, next budget, the government may be cutting funding for postgraduate students in Irish universities. How would you see that affecting uh, SFA's work and the development of the smart economy? It doesn't directly affect uh, SFI's, and I should be clear on this, SFI's support of uh, its postgraduates. We have about 1,200 PhD and master's students inside our cohort of 3,000 researchers that we support. So just for the record there, and people understand, it is not affecting that. Those stipends and support stand. My understanding is the cuts are possibly to the local authority support of certain uh, um, postgraduate students. And I don't know a huge amount about it yet, but I am concerned at what I'm hearing. So I read the paper, the article on the front of the Sunday Business Post where this broke. And if it does anything to reduce the numbers and attractiveness of science, then that's a deep, deep concern to me. One of our jobs is not only to produce good science, but we've got to make it really attractive to the young, young people in Ireland because they're going to be the system that keeps this going. Dr. Graham Love, thank you very much for your time. Later, I spoke to Professor Jonathan Coleman, winner of the SFI Researcher of the Year Award. I'm here with Professor Jonathan Coleman, the SFI Researcher of the Year 2011. Uh, Professor Coleman, you work with uh, polymer nanotube composites. Perhaps you could uh, tell us a little about what that is. Sure. Um, well, anyone who's ever looked around them themselves in, in the world will see that you know there are an awful lot of plastic materials around there. I've got three little kids and I think the house is filled with plastic toys. And plastic by and large comes from oil. And as we all know, we're running low on oil. So we really start to need to start thinking about using plastic a little bit more carefully. And plastic has always been a material that, you know, is cheap. Um, but that's not always going to be the case. So you need to start thinking about how would you reduce the amount of plastic you need for a given application. And the limitation on how much you need is set by how strong it is. I mean, if you have a piece of plastic that, you know, is is designed not to break under a certain set of conditions, if you want to use less plastic in that application, you have to make it stronger. So this is what we want to do. So we, we one of the things we do is design nanomaterials that are very, very strong, and if uh, put into a plastic at very, very small quantities, they can double or triple the strength of, of a piece of plastic. And that means that you need maybe a half or, or a third as much plastic for a given application. Now, this is actually more important than it sounds, because if you think of all the sort of trucks, ships, planes, boats, all sorts of things that are made by and large of metal, if you could make plastic strong enough, you could replace that metal by plastic, and if you could make them even stronger, you could pl replace that metal by even less plastic. Now that means you could reduce the weight dramatically, and one of the one of the the benefits of that would be you would need a lot less fuel to move things around, and less fuel has its own benefits, but it also means yet less CO2. And in an age of global warming, that's a very, very important application. So we would see this rather crude idea of putting strong nanomaterials into plastic as being a very, very important application of nanoscience. 
Nanomaterials, people always think about, you know, the sexy applications like making transistors that are much, much faster or making sensors that can sense gases at, you know, tiny parts per billion. And these are important applications, but in reality, they will have a limited impact on on what we do. Whereas I personally believe that this uh, strengthening composites, because of the important implications in using less oil, using less fuel and generating less CO2, that this is a much more important application in terms of the societal impacts. So this is my own personal bugbear at the moment. People want to do the sexy stuff. I'm trying to convince them that actually the more run-of-the-mill applications are actually the really important ones. Professor Coleman, thank you very much and congratulations on your award. I also spoke to Professors Linda Doyle and Ariel Cochran from Trinity College Dublin. And now I'm speaking with uh, Professor Linda Doyle and Professor Ariel Cochran, uh, both of whom spoke on the future of communications and the internet at uh, the SFI Summit. Uh, if I could start with you, Professor Doyle, uh, perhaps you could tell me a little bit about uh, your topic of uh, the future of communications. Okay, so um, I'm from a centre called CTVR, and CTVR looks at uh, what networks uh, are going to be like in the future, wireless and optical networks. So my talk was a little bit about, you know, speculating about the future and what networks are going to look like. Um, so I was talking just a little bit about how, how things have changed a lot in recent years. Um, if you think of a cellular network, a mobile network, when it first existed, it was owned by one entity and it was under control and users couldn't make applications or design their own content. And now you can do all of that. Um, and that kind of breakdown of ownership is happening everywhere in the network. It happens at the, the spectrum side, it happens in the radio access network, at the base station in the back hall and in the core and uh, in CTVR we kind of look where that's heading and the networks of the future to us look like um, kind of a big bucket of disparate resources uh, that will be performed into action when they're needed rather than kind of statically there with idle capacity um, and we're very very much about creating these kind of very flexible systems um, so we think about the big picture and the architecture and the infrastructure and then we think about the flexible technologies that will underpin a kind of a flexible network of the future. Professor Cochran, speaking of uh, content which was mentioned there earlier, uh, you were responsible for possibly content that a lot of people have seen. Uh, you uh, received an Oscar from that, I understand. <laughs> yeah, that was a, a long time ago, about four years ago. Um, I got an Academy Award for uh, work in the motion picture film industry and what I was talking about was the impact of media signal processing research in film and television broadcast. Um, so I'm from the SIG Media Group in Trinity College Dublin in the Engineering School. And um, what we've been working on is tools to make it easier for people to take pictures and video and turn it into something useful. And um, we've had a wide range of projects over the years. Um, perhaps the most well-known is uh, things to do with motion picture restoration. And that sort of took off about 2001, 2002, because of the arrival of Blu-ray and DVD and so on. People realized there were more channels to distribute content uh, versus the amount of content that there was. And um, archives began to recognize they were on uh, a winning ticket, if you like, if they could only restore the material and make it look as good as it should look. Um, so that work led on to collaboration with the post-production industry um, and because of the adoption of some of that technology in the film world, 
we won the Academy Award in uh, 2007. Possibly an unfair question just to uh, finish off with both of you. As people who are working in that area, would you have any prediction on uh, what the internet will look like in five years' time? What will have changed from how it is today? <laughs> well, that's a tricky one. Mm. I mean, we didn't know 15 years ago what would internet. We didn't know it would internet what 15 or 20 years ago, right? Um, so I would like to think that, in fact, it's it's not a matter of what it would look like. It just it becomes ubiquitous and it becomes just a, a part of how you go about your work and play in daily life. Um, at the minute, uh, like in this conference, people talk a lot about network congestion being a problem for the internet. But in fact, it's probably only a problem in the, in the first world. And there's still a lot of places where there is no internet. And what would it look like for them in five years? Well, they would have one, you know? So people forget the world is still a big place. And the, the activity that people talk about that is hampering technology progress sometimes only really affects 20% of the population. You know, so we've got a lot of way to go before we could confidently say that the whole world is covered with a uniform communication network. If we could get there in five years, that would be great. I think I took the easy way out there by making Anil answer first to give me some time. But um, I, I, I agree with a lot of what Anil said, but I would add that um, up to now, um, you know, everybody uh, is able to kind of participate in the Internet through creating their own content and through, you know, designing applications and through manipulating things on a software wide level. And I think in the future, people are going to be able to manipulate the hardware more as well. So we're going to have more kind of crowdsource nodes in the network where you actually have control over the hardware and kind of new and exciting ways and potentially control over the spectrum and the radio waves that uh, you might use to transmit wirelessly kind of like the way you have control over designing applications on your phone now thank you very much both of you thank you finally some food for thought the concluding remarks from professor linda doyle's presentation at sfi summit people talk about there only being three equipment vendors left in the world one would be huawei the other might be zte and maybe there will be a european one maybe not People are talking about one pan-European LTE network. I think the situation can look gloomy. I think it is absolutely imperative that industry engages with research because I think the disruptive kind of thinking is needed for survival, not for their next product. And I would say that things change. There's a big challenge in the systems as we know it and that you know, the research partnership, I think, between the likes of the SFI funded research and industry can point the way. And finally, I'd just like to thank all of my colleagues in CTBR. I've mentioned the co-PIs here at the National Centre uh, and uh, you know, the ideas about networks and the technologies we, we designed that depend uh, on all of these people that are mentioned here to come into existence. Thank you. I'm Jared Cunningham, and this has been Cybernia, brought to you in association with Discover Science and Engineering. Thank you for listening.